Love the cases. Love the clauses. Love the adverbs and the antecedents. Love the words. From ELFM. Hello and welcome to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM. Tonight, three parts to the programme. In the final part, we have the Found Fiction podcast, Steve Clarkson interviewing artist Ray Bedford. But in the first half, we have Jem Stewart's new collection of poetry, No Limericks Left in this vehicle and following on from that the first part of a two-part treatment investigation by Jimmy Andrex into translation the merits and demerits the skills and non-skills of translating from English into other languages and vice versa so first of all a conversation with Jem Stewart about his new collection no limericks left in this vehicle, the proceeds of which are going to NACOA, the National Association for the Children of Alcoholics. I think I've always, well, I've always composed poetry, um, even before I could actually write it. Um, it's a bit of a family legend that uh, my first ever poem was uh, was when I said to my nana, she used to say some quite odd things, and one of the things she used to say was, if wishes were horses, beggars would ride. And I lost her when I was four years old, so I must have been only three or so when I said this. But uh, I said, Nana, that's outdated now because there aren't any beggars anymore and no one rides horses. Uh, so it should be if wishes were cars, we'd all, we'd all drive Jaguars. Uh, and of course, this completely cracked her up. And um, I think it's, it was her that taught me to read and her that gave me my love for words. And I've only found out in the last um year or two we actually found a, a notebook of hers which had some of her own poetry in and her rhyme schemes are actually very similar to mine so there's a family connection there but what gave you the inspiration to or the the impetus to start writing seriously and to go to a writing group um i think i, I live in uh, in batley which is in uh the late Joe Cox's constituency uh, and when we lost her in 2016 obviously we were you know it, it sort of rippled through the community and the year after as part of the um, More in Common campaign More, More in Common uh, organisation we uh, had a big iftar which is the breaking of the Ramadan fast uh, in the centre of Batley uh, and part of that celebration was a group called the Batley Poets um, who performed some poems uh, to a crowd of I suppose three or four hundred people and my wife who'd recently joined the Batley Community Choir because we decided we wanted to play more of a part in the culture of our community um, she said well you want to get involved with something like that you write a bit of poetry why don't you go and ask if you can join so I approached a gentleman called Mohammed Salou who has since become a very good friend and said, you know, how do I get to join the Batley Poets? And he just said, do you like poetry? I said, yes. He said, well, well, you're in then. <laughs> so uh, that was it. Um, I suppose about six months later, I went to a reading 
in Batley Library. Uh, did two or three of my, my own poems. Really enjoyed doing it. Got I love the reception. And ever since then, I suppose I've been getting on my hind legs on a regular basis and and performing poetry to various crowds. And just really enjoyed it. It's really that you know added to my life and. Uh, it spurred me on to, to write a lot more poetry than I used to. So it came to pass that I got, I suppose, you know, 50 or 60 poems I could choose from. And although I said um, I would never uh, put them in a collection because as far as I'm concerned, my, I, I'm from the John Cooper Clark School. Poetry is not for writing down, it's for performing. So I always said I wouldn't do a collection, but uh, the charity that I'm, I published it for and the COA and the National Association for Children of Alcoholics um, they came onto my radar and I thought well I'll do one, I'll do it to benefit them so that's in a nutshell why um, I put the collection together and why I published it and uh, if you would can you um, read us a poem please, perhaps one that relates to Joe Cox yeah, yeah um, this one is uh, it's the one I actually read at the, the very next iftar after the one that I met uh, Mohammed Salu at, I wrote it for that iftar and performed it and it went down really well. Um, so it's called, it's just called Hope. Hope springs eternal, so says the old cliche, and it's even more important in the culture of today. It's becoming all too easy to heed the voices of division, and those who stand for unity just receive derision. We don't have to love our neighbour, but why not just say hello? Those strangers living next door are just friends we don't yet know. From Martin Luther King to our very own Joe Cox, let's stand up for civil rights, let's turn back the clocks. Reject the Twitter chatter of PC libtards and snowflakes. When they go low, go high and see what difference that makes. It's not a viable strategy to fight fire with fire or bigotry with hatred, we should all be aiming higher. This past year has been challenging and politics got vicious. A return to civil dialogue could prove to be auspicious. Try exchanging friendly banter as you go about your business. One man's Eid Mubarak is another's Happy Christmas. You're raising money for a charity. Tell us about the charity and why that has appealed to you particularly. Um, well, it's NACO, it's the National Association of Children of Alcoholics, and um, I myself am a person in recovery. I've been 17 years um, abstinent from alcohol. Um, I work and have worked for 10 years um, as a counsellor and as a therapist, an alcohol therapist, um, helping uh, dependent drinkers um, referred to me by um, our local hospital. Um, so it, that's something I'm quite well involved in but the real thing is my mum um, struggled uh, through her life um, with alcohol and I think as I reflected in the book uh, sadly although she died at 87 um, I think really from the age of 65 or so uh, a, a mental deterioration had set in to such a degree that she really wasn't wasn't our mum. She recognised us till the very last, but she wasn't really our mum. And I think we lost maybe 15, 20 years of 
a good life with her, which I think, you know, I think she would have enjoyed her life more if she hadn't had that that affliction, if you like, and that was quite sad. Um, she did live long enough to see me get sober and was always very proud of me. Um, but uh, as I say, I think we lost quite a few years of her life, useful life to alcohol, and that saddens me still. Jim, read us one more poem, if you will, that relates perhaps to that subject or to the to the reason that you're raising money for Nakoa. Okay, um, I think I'll I'll read one that is, um, I suppose, comic with a serious point. Um, I wrote this one actually to read at um, uh, a function for the charity I work for, um, and it's just called Sobriety. We are all escapees from the slavery of addiction. Lager, wines and spirits our previous predilection. Forgive us when our words stray into evangelism. We only want to see you freed from the bondage of that prison. We meet online and in real life to share our thoughts and knowledge. Studying high qualifications in sobriety college. In time we lose the shame we felt about our previous ways and revel in the creativity which starts to fill our days. We are sober warriors, our first battle to survive, but as the campaign continues we begin to grow and thrive. Friends and loved ones notice their trust starts to increase. We respond to life's hardships with serenity and peace. There'll come a time when someone says, do you ever miss the drink? And when they do we'll answer without a pause to think. Mr. Hangovers and blackouts wondering what we did and said. Feeling just like death warmed up, entire days in bed. Wondering how we got that bruise, where our phones and money are. Who's that snoring next to you? Where did you leave the car? Now we wake up bright-eyed, fresh as the proverbial daisy. And you ask if we miss alcohol. Are you absolutely crazy? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. That's great. Yeah, made me smile and also touched me. <laughs> um, so, it's uh, it's in a great cause. And uh, tell us how we get a hold of the book. Um, I'm on Twitter. If you use that medium at all, as if you just put in at Helmet Hall, that's my Twitter handle, as it were. Um, and my uh, name on Twitter is uh, Gem the Lyrical Gangster so again if you put that into the search bar you'll find me by all means just post me a message or send me a, uh, a direct message um, I will pick that up um, the other way is um, via um, email if you want to email me it's gem.tovey t-o-v-e-y so that's j-e-m uh, dot tovey t-o-v-e-y at gmail dot com and uh, if you just let me know the books are five pounds uh, plus two pounds postage and packing and you can uh, pay by paypal pay by backs or even send me an old-fashioned check by snail mail any of those i can uh, i can i can work with and i will do my very best to get that out to you um in the course of the in well within a couple of days and that money will go to the charity NACOA or National Association for the Children of Alcoholics so thanks very much Jem and uh, it's uh, good luck with the collection and with your writing keep in touch with us I'll do that thanks ever so much
Love the haiku. Love the sonnet. Love the quatrain and the couplet. Love the words. From East Leeds FM. Translation on Trial, Part 1. Getting the gist. Can you tell the difference between this... La mer Qu'on voit danser Le long du golfe clair A des reflets d'argent La mer Des reflets changeants Sous la pluie La mer And this Stands on golden sands And watches the ships That go sailing English-speaking listeners will automatically assume that Bobby Darren's Hep Daddy version is a translation of Charles Tournay's original, but, as we discussed in an earlier programme, it isn't really. The artistic murder charges previously levelled at Mr Darren include several offences to take into consideration, not least that of jauntily filleting out all the meaning from Trenet's poetic French lyrics. All that's really left is that, mm, it mentions the sea, and things that rhyme with it. And there's the nub of what we're looking into in this programme. Just what is translation, and how does it apply to the literary arts? On the way, we'll be stopping off in some unusual locations, taking in loads of gifted Frenchmen ripped off by Tim Panale, one of pop music's most infamous death songs, some 1980s French heavy metal, oh yes, before finally finding that the seemingly impossible task of translating a great song's wit, poetry and structure can be achieved if you're from Leeds. This isn't just an arcane academic question. In these dark times of culture wars, anyone serious about understanding our world cannot, I contend, do so unless they evaluate the cultural impact of English in 20th century popular culture. So, before you head off the exit to check out how bad Lawrence Fox's singing really is on YouTube, where you will really learn to laugh again at the same time as the penny drops as to how white privilege works, ask yourself this. How long was English language culture dominant? It arguably started when Al Jolson opened his mouth at the start of The Jazz Singer in 1927, ushering in Hollywood's forcing of the English language on the world and, just as arguably, started to decline as soon as The Beatles packed up in 1970. 43 years. Or the amount of time since punk happened. You might also argue that our language's annexation of popular culture is coincident with the British Empire, which reached its peak about 1900 and was a spent force by 1956 and the Suez Crisis, when, basically, the USA told the UK to stop throwing its weight around. In pop culture terms, that's the amount of time since A Hard Day's Night hit the cinemas. 
So not long then. This means that we are not the cultural powerhouse we've imagined ourselves to be. There's no future in England's dreaming, as Johnny Rotten reminded us back in 1977. Any culture warriors listening and filing all this under woke while they rage impotently on social media should remind themselves that most, if not all, of the things now celebrated as quintessentially English were created by people looking outwards and to the future, not inwards and looking back. Shakespeare, for instance, wrote poetry using an Italian verse form, the sonnet, and many of his plots were adaptations of continental writers. The Beatles shook the world by copying American R&B. Even gammon pin-up boy Isambard Kingdom Brunel, son of Belgian immigrants, the clues in the name, Lawrence, wanted to build railways on the continental gauge, If he'd been allowed to, the blow to our national pride would now be softened by wider, faster and more comfortable trains that really could go direct from Leeds to Milan. So then, translation is the key that unlocks a whole world of cultures rendered inaccessible by language. It's also a great way of making money. Let's face it, the English-speaking world has never held a monopoly on genius, So the music business soon learned that if there was a hit song out there where the language was a barrier, then simply change the language and ka-ching! Along the way, various crimes and misdemeanours occur, so we're going to put translation on trial. Exhibit 1 Ooh, are you going to be a translator then? This question always made me heart sink. The job of those saps in headphones at the UN is almost impossibly hard. Theirs alone is the responsibility of making sure that the Zambian ambassador to the UN's comments on import tariffs are not misunderstood by the Turkish delegates as a slur on the First Lady's facial hair tantamount to a declaration of war. Language is so full of metaphor, idiom and references so unique to each culture that instantly capturing the nuances and implied meanings of everyday language is something only a few, usually bilingual childhood residents in a foreign land, are ever capable of doing without error. Novels and poetry are seldom translated in such a way that it means the same to the original audience as the one reading the translation. Thus... Anyone attempting to translate a song who isn't A, bilingual, B, a skilled writer themselves, and C, fluently conversant with the cultures of both languages, will struggle at best. What they might do is call it a draw and go for the gist. In this case, Jacques Brel's original and witty Le Moribond is a jaunty romp, ostensibly from a dying man who wants to go out with all guns blazing. In the course of saying goodbye, he has a dig at the local priest, gives the nod to his wife that he knows she's been unfaithful, and lets his best mate know that he knew all along that he'd been getting over-familiar with his missus. But, you know what? Make sure you all have a damn good time at the funeral chats, because I'm off. Part-time beach boy Terry Jacks had heard the Kingsdon Trio's version with English lyrics by American poet Rod McEwen, and found it too depressing. His alterations, which ditched Brel's stoic acceptance of infidelity, tipped the doom and schmaltz over the edge. Struggling to cope with Brel's defiant mixture of jolly morbidity and devil-may-care sentiment, he scratches his head, 
sharpens a whole set of pencils as a work avoidance strategy, then realises his Collins Gem Dictionary isn't up to the job and goes for the gist. Namely, 1. It's about a bloke who's going to die. 2. He seems to mention spring. 3. He appears to be saying goodbye a lot to his wife and father and friend, plus some others who don't seem to be in Terry's dictionary. OK, then, let's use a 2B. Goodbye. That's a good start. Who to? Uh, a friend. Here goes. Goodbye to you, my trusted friend. Ooh, that's not bad. What round's your friend? Da -de -da -de -da. Nine or ten. Oh yeah, we're off now. Don't mention the wife playing in the way fixture, though. Terry Jacks basically rewrites the song he thinks Jack Brown might have been singing when Rob McEwen had a bash at translating it. Death songs always sell big, so grab that reaper's scythe, ladle it on and watch the cash roll in. Now, Jack Brown was a genius writing songs of lyrical and emotional brilliance while the Beatles were still hacking out Love Me Do. Terry Jacks was a sincere but middling hack songwriter, but maybe he gets the last laugh because the gullwazers that hung permanently on Brell's lip might have given him the look of the tortured artist, but they also gave him lung cancer and he died aged just 49. Terry Jacks is still on a beach somewhere living off royalties that never gave two hoots for accuracy. Next time, we'll look at another aspect of translation, which is a massive part of our nation's heritage. Cultural theft. Love the nouns, love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. seventh edition of Look Closer, the Found Fiction podcast. It's also our first show of 2021, so Happy New Year. If you've never listened before, this show is a creative search for inspiration. In every edition, I'll meet up with a different guest to take a journey around their neighbourhood and explore the places, people and communities around them, unlocking the things that inspire them as creative thinkers and the makers of great things. This time I went to York to meet artist Rachel Bedford, better known as Ray. Having worked in graphic design for the past six years, Ray has recently become an artist full-time, specialising in painting and jewellery design. She also reads fine art at Leeds Arts University. So it seemed like a great time to get to know what makes Ray tick as an artist as she embarks on this exciting new chapter in her life.
Hello. Great to see you. Oh my god. Oh my god. Well, oh my come god. on. Let's do Elvis. This, yeah. It's been a long time. What's this? Oh, it, it was actually a bit of a nightmare. I just went in the car park up there. Yeah, yeah, I should have asked, I guess, but never mind. Yeah, yeah, I had to, well, <laughs> I had to kind of um, get change and then go back to the machine and bring up. That's why I'm a bit late. Lovely wreath, by the way. Yeah, you've done a good job here. Oh, it feels lovely and toasty as well. Not so much out here, but. So we'll just kind of see what inspires us and then I'll ask you a bit about yourself and all well, that I was going to go to take you to Roundtree Park. Yeah. But it's flooded. Oh, right, okay. So we'll go up by the race course. Fine, um, fine. So I guess I know you as a, an artist and designer, but how would yeah. you describe yourself in your own words? Um, I think artist is right. Um, I've been a designer for six years and I think lockdown sort of put a lot in perspective. Um, yeah. And I just wanted to paint. I just, uh -huh. I just wanted to paint. I didn't want to do anything else. Um, it's quite slippy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just, just wanted to paint, and with lockdown, um, it was Craig's idea, really. You know, why don't you retrain and do something? Craig, you really your partner. Love. Yeah. Cool. Yes, my partner. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I thought, well, I'll apply for uni. I'll apply to do a master's um, and sort of see how I get on with that. And then I got an interview and then I got in and I was suddenly going back to uni. Um, yeah, that's sweet. It's about, about nine years um, since I graduated from... Portsmouth <laughs> um, doing graphic design wow. so now I'm at, at Leeds Arts Uni doing fine art which is just a dream come true it really is yeah that, no it sounds awesome I mean so you, you kind of were you always into creative art and um, yeah I, I mean do you kind of see it as a bit like purer maybe I don't know in oh some yeah way. massively I think I've always painted I've always drawn sort of in my spare time uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, and then the last two years I've been doing an online landscape um, painting course just to sort of give me more focus it was a new year's resolution uh -huh. thing okay um, yeah. And, and yeah I was sort of painting more and more often and the more I was doing it the quicker I was getting better and sure. I yeah. just sort of put all my energy into that really so just to explain where we are today and where we're going to be going. So we are in York. Um, a bit noisy at the minute, but it will get quieter. We're going to walk up to the race course, um, which when we were in the first lockdown was kind of my exercise route. Um, I'm a very indoor person, so um, sort of being in lockdown kind of suited me, but I knew that I needed to get out you know for exercise and um yeah the one sort of exercise clear my head. Day. i know yeah, yeah, yeah. i know he kept telling me like you know oh, yeah you need to get out and on a not so icy day i'd take you through the allotments but and that was a real inspiration i did lots of drawing um sort of there and i think the race course 
for me, it's really sad that it's not fulfilled its potential this year. Yeah. Um, sort of with, you know, being an events place. Um, but a lot of people have used it for exercise and dog walking and running. And so it's sort of brought everybody together. Yeah. Um, Actually, I used to live around this neck of the woods myself. Oh, really? <laughs> and I used to go running around there. Oh, well, and there I'm kind go. of retracing my own steps a bit. Oh, nice. Um, you know, I remember going at, running at night and seeing kind of dogs leaping up at you. And yeah. Stuff. But it's, it's like, yeah. it's kind of the feeling I'm getting right now. I mean, I, I've often, you get a feeling when you come back to somewhere you used to live, right? Yeah. And it kind of reminds you of, kind of your life since you left yeah. and everything. Yeah. Not being to this particular street actually, but I've certainly been to the race course enough times. There's a lot of memory sort of Yeah. You're kind of faced with. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's nice here because it's kind of like COVID isn't happening. Because right, it's yeah. so spaced uh-huh. out. It's huge, yeah. Everybody's got enough space to walk around and socially yeah. distance. So you, you say you've been quite productive probably this year. Yeah. Okay. Because I think for a lot of creative people, like they kind of have struggled in some way. You yeah. know, certainly the people who were stimulated by city life and, and events and yeah. things like that. But do you prefer, do you see art as more solitary anyway? And um, Yeah, I think so to a certain extent because it's, it's you and the canvas or the page. Um, but I've actually joined a studio in York, um, Pika Studio, and that's been incredible. Great, um, great. Having that community, learning from other artists, and sort of being inspired that way. Um, but I think the thing with creative people is we can adapt, yeah. and that's you know, and, and so you adapt to what's going on. Um, and you kind of adjust your creative process yeah, by that. Yeah, because you have to, yeah, you can't I've not. Been doing, I've been doing a lot of iPhone drawings um, nice. because I'm kind of at home and, yeah. you know, if I can't get to the studio. Um, so I'm constantly creative and adapting to sort of new situations, which is really nice. You can teach people how to get better at writing, drawing, or any creative discipline. But what you can't teach is the vision, belief, and resilience to keep doing it no matter what. You can't teach that fanatical sense of possibility that transcends your age, experience, or surroundings. Artists must discover this for themselves. Blue sky behind us. Oh yeah. It is, isn't it? Yeah, it's sort of the haze and the smoke in front with the sun, and then massive blue sky behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That has, and and you'd be quite sort of perceptive of things like that, I suppose, as landscapes, which I imagine just change every single day and every single hour of the day. I think. I'm taking a picture of it now. Yeah. I need to. Yeah, yeah. I'm in that sort of space where it kind of joins together. (laughs) I think with the sun so low, yeah, you can almost foresee. It's it's strange, isn't it? Because on this side where it's pure blue, that looks like the day's just started. It's morning. Yeah. 
and it is and then on this side it's gray and you can almost foresee the sunset almost, eventually because the, the day you yeah it's you know how time. it's going to look because yeah. it's, it's almost getting kind of dark yellow in that the distance smoke as well there i don't quite yeah, know what's going on over uh, there but smoke I mean, hanging in the air yeah very sort of lowry yeah the kind yeah. of white sky minimal colors and yeah. these the people, I guess, being quite stick-like because yeah. they're quite far away, a bit like Lowry, yeah. maybe. I don't yeah, know. definitely. No, it's good to approach it, like, you know, from a visual point of view mm. for a change, this this whole podcast, you know. Yeah. Like, you'd be the first non-writer to right. be on I'm it. I'm definitely not a writer. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I I do sort of... I like to think of it as all the same, even if I was to do this with like a fashion designer mm. or filmmaker, anyone, you know, it's all the same, right? It's all just stories. Yeah, I think, you know, it's the output is just different. Yeah. But a lot of the process and the thinking is kind of the same. Yeah. Um, which the is, crafting of- is great and it's really nice to sort of spend time with other creative people, whether they're writers or filmmakers or you know, a, a different um, sort of discipline to what I do because I can get inspiration from that yeah. and put that in my work as well, which is really nice. Just an arrow on the floor there in paint. Unexplained, but showing us where we need to go, I guess. Are we definitely on the I'm right not, track? We are. We're going to cut through. What, whatever the right track is, eh? Do you feel that visual art is... Uh, it's, it's easier to tell when it's completed. Oh, God, no. No? Okay, okay. <laughs> Absolutely not. I think, I think there's that awful sort of... Um, oh, more ice. Treading on the ice. Oh, really oh. Watch it. <laughs> you all right? It really went through there. Yeah, it's actually... I'm oh. kind of... Yeah. Oh. I've made it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think there's that point where you kind of... You can do too much and you can sort of, there's a real Keep fine going. line to when a piece is done and it's very difficult to tell when that is and you think, well, I'll just do a little bit more and then you can kind of overwork okay. it. And then it, what, looks too busy or? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you have okay. to kind of take stuff away and so, yeah, it definitely... Right, it's definitely right. hard to tell when a piece is done. How do you how do you take stuff away? Are you talking about digital or? Um, I mean, whatever the process is, whether it's you know I do a lot of oil painting. Um, yeah. So it's kind of you can take layers of paint off or paint over the top. Oh, um, so. But also, you know, when you photograph and work as well, you can kind of digitally. Um, enhance it or change it as well i try not to do that though i try and keep it kind of as unfiltered as possible okay yeah um, yeah. yeah it's it's a funny one that I, I struggle with and i think uh i've read something recently it's like art is supposed to be abandoned eventually Ooh. you're supposed to abandon it you're right. supposed to leave it basically yeah. eventually yeah because if you keep tinkering it, it it would lose the yeah. the kind of thing that born yeah that another it, part of my sort of process is to do that is to have weeks of just 
having it in the kitchen or having it at home and just kind of looking at it and you kind of see it in a different light you sit in a different way and yeah. you can kind of come back to it weeks later and think oh god what was I thinking and you know and you yeah. can kind of change bits and I think that's how you determine when a piece is done is having that break that break is almost as important as painting artists like recording artists now are um, editing their work after it's been released like post sort of release you yeah. can edit the stream you know yeah. so, and so they might re-record a chorus and I, I don't know that doesn't sit well with me somehow because I, I feel like once you've launched something it's lose. for everyone else to yeah. digest at that you kind of lose that looseness it, it's um, like if yeah if someone was to go and re-edit a famous artwork I don't know yeah oh after my it's been released it's like well is it ready for us to see and, yeah and change our perspectives you know, is it ready for that or do you still need to work on it? You know, it's, yeah. it's like the boundaries at which like the artist like present it, presents it to the audience. Yeah. You know? I feel like once it's out there to the audience, it's theirs now and yeah. it, you can't change yeah. it. Yeah, we've been, we've been talking a lot about that um, at uni, sort of with the group before Christmas. You know, how do you feel about putting your work out there? Because once you do, yeah. it's not yours anymore. Yeah, and it's true. you know people see things in it that you didn't see before and that can be really exciting but it's really scary as well because it's so personal and it's part yeah. of you whether you're writing a story painting a picture or making a film when do you know when it's done it's all too easy to edit and re-edit and re-edit and sometimes it's worth putting in the time to improve your work but sometimes you just need to let it be get it out there and move on to your next project. But Ray's right, there's a very, very fine line between leaving behind one piece of work and starting on something else. If you've got two projects that go on at the same time, it can be hard to work out where any new ideas you have belong. I'm just seeing how the water's frozen, what um, kind of winding, coily patterns in the ice where the mud and the water have frozen. Um, you know, sometimes certain images, um, that, like the beauty of the natural world, you know, obviously mm. this is all pretty, you know, it's, it's just been, it's just frozen water, but it's frozen in a shape of sorts, mm. you know, there's different things going on there. There's a, there's a world underneath that ice as well. There's yeah. stuff going on underneath it. Yeah, yeah. Kind of layers. It's hard to verbalise what pattern that is, <laughs> but it... it I'm trying to think, it's probably similar to like, is it Fair Isle? I'm thinking of this jumper pattern. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to break it, but yeah, it's just interesting how just nature chooses to, to go and it, it's like there's little bits of uh, of water that have minded out the way of others and some of them have shaped a pattern and yeah. I don't know, yeah. When you take a closer look, it is it does become more fascinating, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we can maybe have a look at um, the building actually around here and yeah. see if there's anything in the, the race course. the chocolate works as well, which is currently being made into flats. And oh, yeah. There's some flats already, but there's more coming. So Terry's, um, Terry's is yeah, it? Yeah, the so chocolate the factory. Um, famous York. Yes. York thing. York thing. When the wind blows right, 
you can still smell chocolate from the Nestle factory the other side right. of York, yeah. which is amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What, even out here you can get yeah, that? Yeah, sometimes, oh, wow. yeah. I've been sort of in town and kind of walking into town and, yeah, if the wind's right, the weather's right, you can smell it, which is nice. I heard somewhere that, you know, like uh, most cities have got, I'm not sure if York has any has this actually but most cities have like a west end that is like more affluent and stuff yeah but that that apparently is because like um when there were mills and factories and all these big monoliths of mm. smoke and stuff everywhere the wind always blew it to the east oh okay so like that was where poorer oh, people lived because right. the houses were just blasted by all the smoke all day long and oh, the west right. was all right so i wonder if oh, by chocolate it's like the opposite yeah, maybe. <laughs> you know. Maybe. I know that the area that I live, um, sort of between Bishy Road and the race course, did have mills. Um, and a lot of the roads are kind of named Millfield Road and uh, yeah. Nun Mill There's and people's all names, these kind of. Isn't yeah. yeah. Oh, so wow. there were. There's one up in Oakham still, I think. Um, but there was kind of mills in this area as well yeah so yeah maybe that is right yeah, no it is the, the sort of typical winter day isn't it really typical kind of beautiful winter's yeah. day yeah, and you know it's it kind of all the more important to get outside on a day like this it can make you feel so much cozier when you're back Definitely. for sure thank you so much for bringing me out because <laughs> oh it's all right <laughs> I have been in my pyjamas a lot lately, <laughs> so it's, it is nice to get out and it's, it is really needed. I think you know, before when I was sort of walking to work, you kind of take it for granted that that's your sort of outside time and your reflection yeah. time. And yeah. Whereas with lockdown and kind of isolation and people being sort of inside more, you, when you go outside, it's, you've got to create your own purpose, you've got to create yeah. your own reason for going outside yeah 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 that's right and uh, you know i think it's it's rare that you know i think that one exercise a day thing yeah especially i know that's not the case anymore for now but um that really that people had to use that that kind of one carefully. exercise carefully yeah. didn't they? so the you know it, we were outside all the time before on our way to events or on the way to work or whatever but, yeah but now it's like okay i've got yeah. One exercise a day, so where do I go? What do I want to achieve from that? I think seeing the, seeing the race course from this angle kind of head on, what you were talking about earlier about sort of memory, kind of being back in this area, you do, you can kind of, you can almost hear the people that should be there. You can hear like the cheers <laughs> and the And the race stuff. is like going on and yeah, things yeah, that should yeah, yeah. be happening. It's kind of like that memory is sort of lingering in it, the air. Well, yeah, it's because it's literally Ghostly. the purpose of, of this whole place yeah. isn't it is is to entertain people yeah. with horse racing you know and obviously it is just um a place where you can have a walk as well but i guess it's it's strange that the thing that a place was created for the whole purpose is now being denied yeah. you know to people but yeah yeah obviously everyone's making the best of it and there is such huge amount of space here so very kind of safe place to be as well Feel sort of walking past the entrance to the race course, and you've got the prices on the board. And yeah, it kind of feels a bit museum-y. 
Yeah, actually, I've just, um, <laughs> for the safety of race goers, there's nothing about COVID here. No. This is an old sign, yeah. isn't it? And it's all about yeah. where the worst things we could think about were offensive clothing, um, <laughs> sharp objects, sharp objects, gazebos, glass, knives. There's nothing like here. This is in the style yeah. of a now what you'd see about wearing masks, oh God, keeping this two meters. It does meters. feel like it, something out of a museum. Yeah, it's like a, a, a sort of a safety poster from 12 months ago, and yeah. it, it might as well be from 20 years ago. You yeah. Know? Um, and it, yeah, just all the things that are prohibited, and now that list would be yeah. just like 10 times as long. So this is the clock tower enclosure. I've never actually been to the races. I don't know what happens what? and stuff here. I, I am mean, taking you to the races <laughs> when we can go. <laughs> All right. I'll hold you to that. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, the clock tower enclosure. So the clock so tower, so we're near of, Terry's and stuff. This is kind of known as like the cheap side where you'd kind of have picnics ah. and um, yeah, bring your own food and drinks. Ah, okay. Um, and have illegal substances and <laughs> flares. I'm just reading from the post. I'm yeah, not making yeah, yeah. assumptions. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> uh. yeah, that, that's the thing about, that I remember from York, just seeing people after the races going back into town. It's like, oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think, I mean, yeah. that's another thing to sort of consider is York relies so much on tourism when that's kind of been taken away there are no tourists here anymore or there shouldn't be they're all locals which, yeah. so when you're kind yeah, of true. about these aren't people that have come from very far which yeah. is quite nice to sort yeah, yeah, of yeah. it's almost like the locals taking York back <laughs> yeah it's like almost like be careful what you wish for in yeah. a way people are like absolutely oh, yeah. tourists all the time yeah. and now okay yeah. now there's none of them yeah uh, how do you like that yeah and that's quite poignant. So there's all the picnic benches stacked up. Um, like Aww. there might be like a hundred of them there, something like that. Yeah. All stacked up, um, just not being used. Obviously, probably haven't been used mm. in in twelve months or so. Picnic benches, yeah, stacked up. You, you see picnic benches, and they they're kind of always in the same place, aren't they? They're always mm. almost permanent installations of picnic bench. You never see them stacked on top yeah, of each yeah. other like chairs like that. I think will you start to see that sort of nature taking over that kind of decay process or uh-huh. i mean maybe we're not quite at that stage yet um, maybe not but depending sort of how long this kind of goes on for i mean in the summer in our street at the end of our street we've got um the school and because the schools were sort of closed and there was not many people around we had ducks come into the house no and I'd be, I miss those ducks. I would be feeding them every day and they would come for their breakfast and their tea. And, and yeah, and we'd kind of text each other in the street, you know, the ducks are back and there was sort of squirrels and foxes. You know, it was nice to sort of see a bit more nature kind of yeah, coming I'd in. Yeah, I'd heard that nature was taking yeah. stuff back. I didn't hear about them yeah. taking people's homes yeah. back from them. If, well, yeah. I wouldn't be happy about that unless they were paying the mortgage. Like. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, do you, do you, does your work, is your work kind of more timeless it, or is it 
uh, sometimes informed by your response to certain issues or is it literally about how places look and the feeling around them do you do you feel like you channel any of the current time let's say in your work yes definitely okay. and i think where i'm kind of um doing this master's course i've given myself um the next couple of months to just play and just experiment and see what happens and not kind of tie myself to a specific way of working so everything that I'm doing is kind of really instinctive um subconscious and of the moment and and I can see now it's time is the best thing for art yeah because I can see now the work that I was doing um when I first started the course kind of September October November was really bright really colorful really hyper and that's exactly how I was feeling at the time. Um, you know, I was excited to be huh. meeting new people and doing this course and starting a new career. And and that definitely comes out in my work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The stuff that I've been doing the last couple of days is more kind of subdued sort yeah. of colours. And um, okay. and so, yeah, definitely. And it's that's a really exciting process because it's... You know, what is happening on this day? You know, we've got um, announcements coming this afternoon, possibly more yeah. government announcements and things. And so that's going to change things. There's talk of another lockdown. And so yeah. that's really going to influence uh-huh. my work. Uh-huh. Um, and at the moment, I have no idea what that's going to yeah. be. So are you like, do you feel like as an artist... Um, that and or any creative person that's influenced by the world around them, you're just kind of channeling, like subconsciously, what well, yeah, what your subconscious is yeah. collecting, I suppose. So yeah. we're I just have... like hosts, I suppose, yeah. for ideas that are flowing through us to yeah. be presented to others. Yeah, I've no idea what's coming, and yeah, and I do things, and I think, well, what does that mean? And what? Yeah. Yeah. Why have I done that? And then it's not until a couple of weeks later you think, oh, well, I was feeling like that at that time. Yeah. And so that's what that is. Yeah, so you've got that constant fight as a creative of um, the commercial side and what people might like and, yeah. you know, want to see and what you want to do and what comes okay. from within. So you think about the audience then. You think about not, not trends necessarily, but... I think I'm... I mean, it's always there. It's always in the back of your mind. Mm. And I try not to so that I can let my subconscious and, you know, what's kind of going on underneath come out. But you do, I think you do always have that kind of angle of what are people going to think? And that's something that I'm kind of working to get rid of. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose it's like, you you want it to mean, you want it to matter. You want it to matter. Yeah. 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 It's not just purely indulgent for you and your eyes only. You want people to see it. You want people's perspectives to be yeah. changed by it. Yeah. Like to do, make do a you, difference, I think. And what what do you have like a singular thing, or is it different for each each creation of yours? Like what do you what sort of theme? What do you want people to come away with? Is, is there something that you you try and I achieve think, there? I think that's what I'm still kind of working out, and I think. You know, this year is so poignant and there's so much going on that I do try and think, you know, 
if I look at my work or if people look at my work in five years' time, mm. what are they going to know about 2020? What are they going to get yeah. from 2020? Um, and my 2020, I think, you know, what this year has been like for me because it's me coming out in the work. Um, and I think, so you do constantly have to keep time in mind, you know, what the work yeah. is going to be like in six months' time, five years' time. Um, yeah. I mean, do you, do you see this as, like, an era of art? You know, oh, massively. Like... And it's so exciting because I think I love history and we're in history right now. We're yep. kind of living, you know, people are going to be learning about this time in years to come and debating it and there's going to be documentaries and programmes and books and, you know, of, of this time, like, you know, we started yeah. in the 1960s yeah, or... Yeah. Um, of this specific time. So it yeah. does feel really exciting. I think this God. is the first time in my life that I felt like... I am part of history. I'm part of a living history. Uh -huh. I studied history at university, but despite this, I've never previously considered the wider historical context of my creative work. It's fascinating to speculate how our collective creative output of the COVID generation will be perceived in the future. I wonder what themes art critics a hundred years from now will pick up when looking at our paintings, reading our poems, watching our films. I wonder what future podcast listeners will think of this. It raises a valuable question for all creative practitioners. How do you want your work to be remembered? I could do this all day, this oh, is great. Oh, good. I feel like a real artist. Hey. <laughs> oh, really? I'm still totally. where this is so new. <laughs> and I'm so sort of, you know, I've only done my first term. I'm still getting used to, you know, Oh yes, I'm an artist. <laughs> yeah. No, that that's lovely. No, that that is what it's all about, oh, isn't it? Oh, it's dream come true. It's just. I mean, everyone. I know people do say like, oh, you know, you're an artist, you're a writer, as long as you're drawing or you're writing or. Whatever. Yeah. But no, like if it's you, what you actually get out of bed to do every day. Yeah. It's nice to be with my own kind at uni. Do you know what I mean? And it's nice to sort of. The ambition. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. and I can tell them, you know, I want to be, I want to be a superstar. I want to be, yeah, a, you yeah, know, yeah, a, yeah. Um, a world-class artist. And they don't laugh at you. And they don't oh. sort of, you know, oh, well, you're never going to do that. They, you know, oh, yeah, great. Okay, well, how do we, how do we go about sorting yeah, that out? Let's change the world. And it's, yeah, it's great. Yeah, that's, that's inspiring. No, I'm, I'm happy that you said that. That's great. That's what I'm in it for. You've got to aim for the top. And yeah. if you don't quite hit that and you aim, you know, you get a little bit lower, yep. you've still gone further you than you if you were just sort of... Exactly, exactly. ...anything less. What was that so, thing? I think, I don't know what it was. It was like in the kids' show, I think. It was like... Um, aim for the stars and you might at least land on the moon or something. I'm very lucky that I have got a strong network of creative people. Um, whether they just do it for a hobby, whether they say, oh, I can't paint, you know, I can't draw, but uh -huh. I can appreciate it, I enjoy it. Um, 
and then there's kind of my uni group as well and the Peaky Studio lot as well. Um, that's lovely, that, that's good, that's important. So there's a nice balance of people around me. I think I've been lucky to build. So you, you feel like you are where you're supposed to be? Oh yeah, basically. oh spot on. Yeah. Yeah. That's what that is what it's all about and, and it takes people for that I think. Mm. It's tempting. Sometimes it's like um it's tempting to see being creative and writing or drawing as as like a solitude thing as mm. like a purely solitary act and it's all um you you do your own work and then you deserve all the recognition that comes yeah. from that but a lot of it's just through chats you have with people can yeah. trigger things, can't it, you know. Yeah. I don't I guess I don't really look at my work as sort of just me. You know, it's the conversations that I've had with people that have said, oh, why didn't you try this? Or, Good. you know, and that kind of, yeah, it's a, it's a team effort. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that. It is. You know, I do, I've liked coming back here and I'm also like noticing buildings more than I used mm. to. Um, I think I just sort of had my head down a bit when I was here. I was just sort yeah. of, it just went by like that, you know. Yeah. But now I'm sort of trying to consciously just slow things down and... You're getting older. Savour it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all that is, you're getting older. Maybe. maybe. Yeah, I think so. I, think so. <laughs> I, I was quite keen when I was here, mm. and it's interesting that you say this, I was keen to find that sort of vibe, and I was like hanging out with people, and yeah. it, it wasn't quite happening as much as I, th I wanted yeah. it to, because obviously people have other things going on. And I was yeah. hanging out with, you know, I was even like hanging out with you and workmates mm -hmm. and all this but like I never quite found my crowd I guess here I think the community local the local community really like mm. and how you sit in that I think that is really important well it's great yeah. to hear what you've been doing I'm really I'm chuffed for you so it's been lovely to see you yeah it's uh it, it is like uh, I mean I know that you know that it, it's well deserved what you're doing and stuff but living out here, you know, and yeah. doing what you do, that is, that's really good. That's, uh, that's kind of like dream territory. It is. You know. It is exactly. <laughs> People laugh at me when I say I'm living the dream, but yeah. I really am. And that's it for this edition of Look Closer, the Found Fiction podcast. Thanks very much to my special guest, Ray Bedford, who took us on a creative adventure around York. Before we say goodbye, we've usually got a few found fiction events to tell you about. But while there are a few things in the pipeline, our diaries are pretty free for 2021. Depending on how the pandemic pans out, we might still hope to stage some of the many events and installations that were postponed from last year, including Leeds International Festival, Bradford Science Festival and the York Festival of Ideas. In the meantime, you can expect to see us popping up online, where we'll be staging writing workshops, giving talks, and of course, broadcasting a new episode of this podcast every month. 2020 was a year in which we collaborated with a range of new creative partners from across the world. So rather than focusing purely on staging events in 2021, we're gonna make it a year of making new connections instead. If you wanna be a part of that, Get in touch by searching Found Fiction on social media or by visiting our website foundfiction.org. Thank you for listening to Look Closer, the Found Fiction podcast. That's it for this time. Until next time, stay positive, connected and kind. <laughs>